This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beach on ABC Radio Australia, coming to you from the land of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. In today's show, as momentum grows for a PNG team in the NRL, the Barty's head coach says if you want to grow the game in the Pacific, then Fiji is the place to go. There's more players sitting in Fiji that rugby union and rugby league can share. It'll make the big game really grow. Not only the boys, even the girls. We set up an academy for six months only. We got two signed with the Bulldogs, one signed with the Cowboys. Look like more to come. Tonga out to surprise when they make their Pacific Games debut in women's rugby league nines. I have faith that we'll be able to make the top four with the talent and the potential that we have now, especially with our Tongan local players because they train in the heat. They're able to handle those hotter conditions and yeah, we have enough experienced players to cause an upset. And winding back the clock, FSM didn't have a basketball team at the 2007 Pacific Games in Samoa, but they did have one very keen official on court. I see my dad mostly in basketball outfits, especially like after work. Sometimes he would take me and my other siblings to his basketball matches. Growing up, basketball, I would say it's part of our life. One of the winners in our Pacific Games storytelling competition, basketball referee Ramsey Joab tells his story later in the programme. First, though, history will be made at the Pacific Games in Solomon Islands later this month when Australia and New Zealand will compete in the boxing event for the first time. They'll be there because there is more than medals at stake. Olympic places in Paris next year will also be up for grabs, and that's why the Aussies and the Kiwis have been invited to compete in what is now Oceania's official qualifying tournament. As Talia Oletia reports, a gold medal will also secure the winner a ticket to France for the Olympic Games next year. But with so much on the line, how do the organisers ensure that it's still a fair fight? Oh, hang on! Here he comes! The silver medals from the Commonwealth Games! Samon boxer Ato Plojiski Fangali knows his way around a winner's podium. At the 2019 Pacific Games in front of a home crowd, he won gold as a light heavyweight. And then in 2022, as a heavyweight, added yet another Commonwealth Games silver to his collection. It's made Ato one to watch at the Pacific Games in Honiara. Yeah, I feel like I have a target on my back, but I feel like you have to always perform under pressure and... Um, yeah, that's what we're coming to do. I love competing for the for the fatherland. It's always just been um, one of my dreams to uh, compete for Samoa. It's just something about Samoa that's always had a place in my heart. Ato also represented Samoa at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, but was defeated in his first fight against the Belarusian Uladislaw Smilikow. Now with boxing at the Pacific Games offering direct 2024 Paris Olympic qualification in his division, he wants another chance. It's a dream, to be honest. I want to compete at another Olympics and do my best again because I felt like I fell short because of injury. I had a perforated ear in the fight. I did very well. I lost split decision, but I feel like I can do way better. After kicking out the International Boxing Association from its ranks, the International Olympic Committee made boxing at the Pacific Games in Solomon Islands an Oceania Continental Qualification Tournament. Previously, Oceania boxers had to go through Asia, as Andrew Minogue, CEO of the Pacific Games Council, explains. The International Olympic Committee is overseeing 
boxing at the moment. What they've determined is that all of the continental games around the world, from our games in the Pacific to the Africa games, the Asian games and so on, will act as a qualifying event for the Paris 2024 Olympics. And so there's seven men's divisions and six women's divisions at the Olympics. And so those divisions, when they're being fought in Honiara, the winner will qualify directly to the Olympics. So that's meant for the Oceania region. We've had to bring Australia and New Zealand into that competition. They've been at the Pacific Games now since 2015, but only in some sports. And this will be the first time that we've brought them into the boxing. So this is a a, a good step in the right direction for Oceania to get its sort of, we call it a quota spot, but they get their quota spot back at the Olympics. So it means you win at home or effectively at home in your own region. You go to the Olympics. You don't have to go up through Asia or the World Championships or whatever it is. So the boxing program is going to be very big. We've already got, I think, about 17 or 18 countries have registered to compete. It's going to be, in week two of the game, it's going to be really one of the very big sports happening there. It also shows a huge step forward for the Pacific Games and the potential to develop the Games to become a vehicle for other Oceania qualifying tournaments. Australia and Aotearoa New Zealand will not be holding back either in their first foray into the Pacific Games boxing ring. Both countries are sending 13 boxers each to the Games, which is a fair chunk of their team. Samoan boxing coach Mike Lemasio sees the new developments as an opportunity to raise the competitive standards of boxing in the Pacific, where like many sports, lack of funds can prohibit athletic development. I think for, the, for this specific game, it's a different level. So it's a very uh, high competition in my point of view. It's good for our specific nations. We need to compete with that level. Otherwise, if we, if we don't have New Zealand and Australia, we don't know, we don't measure how good we are. We don't have resources, we don't have financially to travel like Asia to do some development or uh, training camp. Nothing compared to New Zealand and Australia. Australia always travel to Thailand, Asia for their training camp. But for Samoa itself, we just train here and live here. But I believe Australia and New Zealand, they put in some uh, uh, pressure. Uh, but it's good to live on pressure. Now, given the impacts of this financial disparity, Australia and New Zealand don't compete in all events at the Pacific Games and will often send development squads for the ones in which they do. But with Olympic qualification at stake, boxing will be different. Andrew Minogue from the Pacific Games Council says they're working to ensure boxing at the Games is still a fair fight. It's a very big balancing act that uh, we as uh, sort of the governing body of the Games have to try and pull off every four years. We've got to really be quite sensitive to the needs of you know, the Pacific Island countries not to be overwhelmed in the competition. So in boxing, for example, there are six men's divisions and six women's divisions also taking part in Honiara that are not Olympic. Australia and New Zealand will not be coming in those and the Pacific Island countries will be able to send additional people in those divisions. So we're trying to make sure that the results and the opportunities are spread around. PNG's Petronella Noki Noki will be one of those boxers competing in the non-Olympic part of the boxing program. And the proud and influential boxer from Bougainville, who is truly a trailblazer for women in the sport, won't be holding back any punches. 
I'm showing others that oh, I can do it for my country, for my people, and especially for me too. So it's like it's a privilege, huh? it's a honor to represent my country in in the Pacific. I have to uh, show others that I, I'm ready to go for that game because that's what I've been preparing for. It's a one-man game, so I have to really prepare for my games. Uh. We have to confident in ourselves. Uh, like, if others can do it, why, why can't we do it? So we have to do it. It's a man-dominate game, but whatever you dream to become, you can become anything. So I'm encouraging all women to stand for their rights and go for what they want. Uh. Boxing is here to stay. It was there at the first games in 1963, and in 2012, it became a compulsory sport, which means it must always be included in the Pacific Games. For Samoan boxer Ato, this new direct Olympic qualifying opportunity and the subsequent inclusion of Australia and New Zealand is a good thing for the future of Pacific boxing. It's good to see that we get more opportunity for the islands to get more exposure to boxing. Because it, it really needs to grow, but the islands don't have the funds to travel. Maybe if we get the funds, we'll be better boxers as well. Because um, Australia and New Zealand have a little bit of a different style. And uh, most of the islands are just used to the, the good old <laughs> stand there and fight. <laughs> so it's good to get that exposure to different um, styles of fighting. And um, I feel like they don't give out as much spots as um, other... Um, regions. I think Pacific Games only gets one and then all the other regions get, I think, two or three spots. So that's the only difficult part. So it's gold or nothing. But other than that, I'm looking forward to competing. Yeah, I bet he is. The Samoan boxer Ata Blodzitski Fangali ending that report uh, from Talia Olatia and uh, the Pacific Games opening ceremony on Sunday, the 19th of November. But the action actually starts two weeks today on uh, Friday, the 17th of November with uh, basketball, table tennis, tennis, volleyball, and I believe also football matches being played on that day. You're listening to Pacific Beat, the Friday sporting edition here on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Hewitt. And mounting speculation in recent days has centred on the push for a team from Papua New Guinea to be given the 18th spot in the NRL, with the Australian government apparently prepared to spend big on the project over a decade. But the coach of the Fiji Bati, a wise Katavarate, says if the NRL and the government in Canberra really want to grow rugby league in the Pacific, then Fiji is the place to go. More immediately, he is focused on this weekend's rematch with the PNG Kummels in Port Moresby, where the two sides will compete for the Pacific Bowl. With home advantage and on the back of the Fijians' less than convincing win over Cook Islands, the Kummels might have started as favourites. That was until they ran into a fast-running Fijian wall in the pool match last weekend and lost 43-16. So, can the Bati do it again? Well, wise Katavarata has every confidence in a team that is missing a number of star names, but which he says is full of new young talent. Nothing changed because uh, it's a brand new team. When you look at it, the week before we got nine debut against Cook Island, we only got one week to prepare them. I know the kids, they've been performed really well in their clubs, the under-21. A majority of them only 19 and 20. They still got one more year to play under-21. So get them across. Most of them haven't played for a month or two. Some three. So it's just try to get a combination going, try to get them running. Game against Cook Island, we sort of make a lot of mistakes because, like I said, it's a lot of, it's a first game. And then last week, we just got to work hard on the basic stuff. You know, we need to control the ball better, compete in our rock area. 
Because we know we can score points. You know, we got the like of Mbula, Sibo, Rabulawa, uh, Turuva. It's just a matter of where we look after what we can look up. Like I always said, you know, Fiji Mbadi going to look after Fiji Mbadi. We don't have to worry about what Cook Island do or Papua New Guinea. Same as last week and same again this week. But to do what you did last Sunday afternoon in Port Moresby, which was to just about silence uh, a home Papua New Guinea crowd, that takes some doing. Uh, they're, they're wildly enthusiastic rugby league supporters. I think that they were stunned by what Fiji did. I mean, they did not expect that. We spoke about it during the week. We spoke about it before we arrived in Papua New Guinea. You know, a lot of the people will see our team with the young kids, bunch of no-name, you know, because we got all our senior players busy, like Kikau uh, have to recover from his injury. He needs some time off. Uh, the safety boys, uh, Jacob, that is waiting in the same week that we coming. Api Corisau did his time out with his family, which I respected. So I give all these young kids a run to because we need to develop a young squad now. We need to develop for 2026. You know, we know what Papua New Guinea uh, did to Fiji the last two, three years. You know, they go through the middle, they win. So this time around, I get them prepared. You know, we need to just control the rock, cut down our mistakes and make sure we control our rock and make sure we look after the defense very well. We're going to work out from the middle. The outside, I said, man, we, we, we can score points. It's just a matter of us giving ourselves opportunity to do that. And it shows last week. And you must be, I would think, rather excited about what the future holds for the Fijian national team, bringing in those young players that you've mentioned and, and also re-establishing a relationship now with the Silk Tails. A number of Silk Tails players uh, featured uh, for the Bati in, in the last uh, couple of weeks. Last year, of course, relations were not, not too great, but everything seems to have been smoothed over now. And so you've got a full group of players to pick from, from all the available clubs in the NRL and the Silk Tails. The pathway now looks brighter. The Fiji National Rugby League, the pathway looks good now because we've got the two academies set up already. The East Academy, the West Academy. And uh, we're planning to put something on the outer island. Now there's kids there, they need a rugby league. With Silktail program, we're going to look at 23 onwards, 2023 to 2026. So Silktail is part of our program as a national team, as a national coach. Silktail is part of our building to the future. That's why we select two of their boys. They've done well for themselves. This year we play every boy in this tournament, which is really good for ourselves as a coaching staff. Now we've got a pool of players we can pick from. You know, we don't have the luxury like the Samoan and the Tongans they do here because they've got a lot of kids born in Australia and New Zealand they can pick from. For us, we got to be smart with what we're doing. So we're going to keep building by giving these young kids an opportunity, you know, thanks to the Australian government. And NRL put a tournament like this so we can uh, develop our players. So how do you approach the match this weekend? Last weekend is a hard act to follow, isn't it? This weekend is the same. We, we don't have to change much. We're just going to make sure we keep these boys humble, keep them respectful, keep working hard. We don't have to change a lot, keep them more relaxed. I spoke about this during the World Cup building towards this tournament. I keep saying, you know, us Fijian, when you relax, we're happy. That's when we play our best football. I don't like changes, to be honest with you. If it works, why change? So we're just going to make sure the boys stay focused on the job done and get prepared for Papua New Guinea because I know they'll come. They'll come after us in the first 20 minutes. Looking to the future, you'll be keenly aware, I'm sure, of, of the speculation surrounding the 18th NRL team and the talk that the Australian government is ready to put big money into a Papua New Guinea team. And we're now being told that the North Sydney Bears bid would be one that encompassed the Pacific as a whole and therefore obviously Fiji. Do you have a, a particular view on this or any, any inside knowledge as to what's likely to happen in the end? What sort of team we might see? Papua New Guinea is Papua New Guinea. It's their sports. And now I'm in Papua New Guinea. 
for three weeks. I can see why they want to come to Papua New Guinea. They got the support. They got everything. Fiji is uh, different. I'm saying that maybe uh, not because I'm Fiji. When you look at it, rugby in Drua, it's only their what second year. They could play in a quarter final already. With the sevens being number one in the world for a long, long time, they won two Olympics. I think to put a franchise rugby league with Fiji and uh, North Sydney Bears will be the best thing happen to the Pacific. The only way we're going to grow the game bigger in the Pacific is to go to Fiji, to be honest with you. I don't say that because I'm Fiji. I'm spending six months in Fiji. There's more players sitting in Fiji that rugby union and rugby league can share. It'll make the big game really grow. Not only the boys, even the girls. We set up an academy for six months only. We got two signed with the Bulldogs, one signed with the Cowboys. Look like more to come. So to put a system in place, NRL invest in Fiji, I reckon, you know, not only with the NRL clubs, we got problems in New South Wales country, Queensland country. Teams are folded because they don't have players. And you got kids in Fiji running around. You can give them opportunity. That's the best pathway for the local country town. You know, they're going to work, solve the, the working problem with the abattoirs and farms and play rugby league. There's a way we can do it. But at the end of the day, it's what the government choose and what NRL want to do. Personal view, I think Fiji is the best spot to go. Lobbying hard for Fiji to get a piece of the NRL action. That's Wise Kadabarate, head coach for the Bati, who take on the PNG Kummels in Port Moresby on Sunday in the battle for the Pacific Bowl, as it's called. Well, while the Fijians are unsurprisingly in a confident mood, the Kummels are shell-shocked and have spent the week seeking answers to their capitulation in front of their own very passionate fans last Sunday. No one was more perplexed by what happened than second-row stalwart Rhys Martin, who will play his 17th game for PNG this weekend. Now, it doesn't sound like a lot, particularly when he debuted for the Kummels nine years ago, but it will actually make him his country's most capped player of all time, overta- overtaking Stanley Gene, Johnny Wilshire and Paul Ayton, who all finished on 16 appearances apiece. It's a state of affairs that really reflects it, not at all on Martin's commitment, of course, but on just how few games PNG have played in the last decade and while he's not done yet martin himself is rather hoping the team will play more matches in future so his record won't stand for long you know i was speaking to johnny walsh i'm equal with him now and he said that i think it was like 2015 2016 2017 2018 i think we're only getting the mid-season test so only getting one game a year and yes it's taken a few years but um yeah it's a pretty special moment for me but looking forward to the future it looks like we're going to be getting three four games a year now with this pacific cup gives you know a lot of players more opportunity to get the appearances up Will there be any special celebrations surrounding the breaking of the record or is the focus really on the game and I guess figuring out what went wrong last weekend and putting it right this weekend? Yeah, that's always, that's the main focus, uh, getting the win and then once we get that, I'll celebrate after but it'll probably be something that was mentioned during the week and leading up to the game but for me personally, I, I like to focus on the main objective and just getting that win and then I can celebrate as much as I can after the game but the win is what I want more than anything. So what has been talked about since last Sunday? Because I think it's fair to say that most neutral observers were caught completely by surprise. Not so much that Fiji won, but the manner in which they won. You seemed as a team to lose your way. Yeah, well, that's that's what happened. We um we didn't complete. We couldn't put any pressure on Fiji to, you know, return serve. We just couldn't hold the ball, couldn't complete a set, and we just put the pressure on ourselves. And, and we knew what we were doing wrong. We just 
the harder we tried to fix it, the worse it got. So after that, coach had a debrief on the game and everyone was 100% agreeing with what he was saying. And this week, the focus is not letting that happen again and making sure that we got that energy and that enthusiasm playing like we do as, as the Cornwalls usually play, that high energy game that, you know, we're ready for it on Sunday. So trying not to dwell on that game that's gone because it wasn't us at all. Must have been strange playing in Port Moresby in front of what was almost a silent crowd at one stage. That never happens. Yeah, it was disappointing. It was a bit embarrassing because we know what we're capable of and the team that we've got here now, uh, the Cornwall squad is very, very strong and we just need to to perform better and and put it together on the field. But yeah, nothing. They weren't too bad, but yeah, we deserve to give them a lot more than we turned up with on Sunday. But I'm sure, you know, looking into this week that that we'll have that there ready ready for our fans. Um, What is your feeling and indeed that that of the Cornwall as a whole about this new competition. Is it competitive enough the way it's being organised? Because to play the same team two weeks running it seems to me is, is not ideal. Yeah, it's a bit strange. I think um, obviously it's the, the first time it's being done so there's going to be some teething problems but in the future it'd be nice if you know the pool's kind of mixed and, and crossed over because you know, we've played Fiji a number of times and I'm sure they're looking to, to play the, the bigger teams as well and getting their opportunity to play Australia and New Zealand for the future it'd be be nice if the both sides of the pools crossed or picked out of a hat or something and and you know you you have to go up against those bigger teams for us as a country we want to play them more than anything and yeah I think next year it'll be different but yeah we'll see when once it comes around again in 12 months time and the speculation surrounding the possibility of a PNG team getting the 18th spot in, in the NRL that there's been even more this week with the suggestion the Australian government is ready to bankroll the team to the tune of $60 million a year over 10 years. What's the talk within the camp? Because I spoke to Nana McDonald before the game last week and he said if the team was there, he'd, he'd be back and playing for it now. I mean, is that your feeling? Yeah, look, it's definitely something I'd, I'd look at. But yeah, it's it's exciting, I think, for the country. I think um, for PNG itself, it's you know a massive thing for the country where everyone's together and supporting the one objective where everyone can come together and support a team. And I think for us as Papuans, that, that's a special thing. But yeah, look, I, I don't know how long that's going to be away, but just think for the country itself, the children, for the, the, the business owners and all that, I think it's a, a massive opportunity and an exciting one if that can go ahead. And what about your own future? You're, you're currently still playing uh, Super League in England, um, presuming that this PNG team in the NRL doesn't come about too soon and we're talking possibly 2028 if it, if it were to happen. I mean, do you plan to stay in England or would you like to come back to play in Australia if given the opportunity? I'm not too sure. I've, I've been enjoying being back. So, you know, 2028 is a long time away. What is it? Four years at the back end of this year. So that's a long time away, but I'm starting to get old. But if, if I'm still around playing, I'm, yeah, definitely. Rhys Martin, who will break the Cummels' appearance record when he pulls on the PNG jumper for the 17th time in the Pacific Bowl final against Fiji Bharti and Port Moresby on Sunday. And, of course, last year, so close to becoming a world record holder. He kicked 41 uh, conversions in a row to equal the world record and playing for PNG against the Cook Islands in the World Cup. He needed one more to break the record, and he missed it by an absolute coat of paint. So he's joint world record holder as well as the Cummels most cap player, or at least he will be after that match this weekend. In the Fale is a brand new music show on ABC Radio Australia. Hosted by me, Paola Tukefu. 
I'll be spinning my favorite tunes from dancehall to disco, calypso to country, reggae to roots, and hip-hop to house music from across the era to keep the kids and the aunties happy. If it has a pumping groove, I'll be bringing it to you to bump you into the weekend. In the Friday, Fridays at 4pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. And Friday morning, and due to circumstances, as they say, I'm left holding the front page this morning, so I will quickly give you a rundown of some of the stories making news headlines around the Pacific on this November the 3rd, and a drought has been declared for Tonga's main island of Tongatapu and nearby island of Iwa, while other islands are on alert. The declaration comes barely a month after an El Nino weather pattern was declared officially by Tonga's meteorological services. And now Deputy Director Alicia Fafita has told RNZ that the drought is not expected to ease any time soon. It's understood there are plans to convert some quantities of seawater into drinking water, with the Prime Minister saying that his government's main concern is to provide sufficient water resources for the outer islands. In French Polynesia, China's consul Tianli Xiao has given a rare interview to the local publication Le Depeche de Tahiti, saying that the worldwide perception of an increasingly tense struggle for power between China and the United States in the Pacific region is based on ideas created by outsiders. He goes on to say that he doesn't think there is a struggle for influence in this region or anyone else for that matter, and that China's aspiration is to seek a common development with shared benefits. There are common issues and we need to address them together. This is the logic that drives our wish to develop cooperation with Pacific countries, he said. He also told La Depeche de Tahiti that China is in favour of a direct air link with Tahiti. Coincidence or not, Mr Tian's interview comes just a few days ahead of a visit to my Paris-based US Ambassador Denise Campbell-Bauer as part of a week-long tour of the French Pacific. And in Solomon Islands, uh, the government has welcomed a delegation of senior executives from China's at Jiangsu Academy of Agricultural Sciences to discuss potential future cooperation between that academy and Solomon's Institutes. The JAAS's president, Professor Yi Tong Yi, and his delegation were greeted on arrival at Honiara International Airport by the Ministry of Rural Development's Permanent Secretary, Dr Samson Vilu. Solomon Starr reporting that the visit will provide an opportunity to deepen mutual understanding and explore the prospect of cooperation between the two countries on joint research and training opportunities with the hope of establishing close ties between universities and research institutions in Solomon Islands. The Chinese delegation will be in the country until tomorrow and their itinerary includes a meeting at the Prime Minister's office, Solomon Islands National University and, interestingly, with representatives of the Malaita provincial government. Pacific Beat. It's the Friday morning sporting edition. I'm Richard Hewitt. You're very welcome uh, wherever you're listening and however you're listening. And uh, five years ago, there was outrage in Tonga when girls at the state high school were apparently banned from playing all forms of rugby. Well, how times change because at the Pacific Games later this month, a Tongan women's team will compete in the Rugby League Nines competition for the first time, and two thirds of the squad are local players. Head coach Monica Henry is one of those taking time off from her day job as a teacher to make the trip to Honiara happen, and some members of the squad indeed will be going without pay. Back in New Zealand, Monica has organised a fundraising drive in the Tongan community to help offset some of the costs involved in competing at the Games. 
the whole squad will go into camp in Tonga next week before heading to the Solomons on November the 16th. And the coach is confident her team can have a big impact, particularly with the 2019 silver medalist PNG not taking part. What makes this team special is we have 10 local Tongan players and four from Auckland, New Zealand, and one of our other players is from Sydney, Australia. In Tonga, they've been preparing pretty much all year, so they've had different competitions run by the NRL. So for the Tongan players, we already had trainers who were already there before me, so two trainers from Tonga selected those 10 players. And then the five overseas players, one's already played for the Kiwi Ferns, and out of the four from New Zealand, three of them have already played for Matema Tonga. So by the sound of it, then, what you've got there is a mix of some experience of those players based outside the country and some new fresh talent from within Tonga. Would that be right? Yes, so basically the players from Tonga, they're like early 20s. The majority of the ladies that are now playing for us, actually, they have a rugby background. So their sevens players have already played for the national Tongan team. So is this a temporary conversion to the game of League Nines or will they be coming over and playing 13 aside after the Pacific um, Games? The big thing in Tonga now, a lot of the ladies who were actually playing sevens and 15-man game have actually switched over to league. So league is a lot more popular now in Tonga in terms of the females. That's pretty much how it is. So the ones based here have played nines before. So the overseas players are more experienced. So do you think you have the ingredients there to perhaps cause a, a bit of a surprise? It seems to me you've got a very good team in the making there. Our team's unique in terms of having all three countries combined. And we're kind of unknown, which is good. You know, so we're pretty much going to be underdogs. But I have faith that, you know, we'll be able to make the top four with the talent and the potential that we have now, especially with our Tongan local players, because they train in the heat. They're able to handle those hotter conditions. So I think going to Solomon Islands for them wouldn't be too challenging. They're very physical. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think for us, it's just a structure of how we're going to play our game. And yeah, we have enough experienced players to cause an upset. To what extent do you think this surge of interest in women's rugby league has been inspired by uh, the men and then what Madama Tonga have done in the last couple of World Cups and they're over there in England of course at the moment playing an historic test series. Is that rubbing off on the whole rugby league community in Tonga? Yeah, it's, it's crazy even in um, Auckland, you know, before for a lot of our players, the pinnacle for us was always to represent New Zealand but since the Matama Tonga, the men you know, they've all opted to actually play for the island nation, it's actually rubbed off on yeah, pretty much the females as well and there's a big following of women in Tonga and here as well they're actually switching codes you know so they're, they're leaving rugby to come to rugby league so the NRL in Tonga now is very popular and only because it's first year you know at the grassroots level where they've actually included the under 16s in the high schools and they've never included girls in rugby league before at all. And I understand that, shall we say, you have something of a golden touch as coach. Uh, you've won tournaments recently with under 16s and under 14 and 15 boys. So under 16 girls, under 14 and under 15 boys. All three of those won their respective grades in Brisbane, I believe. So uh, it sounds to me like you're the right person to take this very promising <laughs> team to Honiara. I mean, you clearly got your eyes on a medal there. Yes, for me, it's just God's timing. All the people we have in our management, coaching staff and trainers, it's pretty much all the right people. You know, there's no one with their own agendas we're um, all on the same page so yeah we played the best of the best in Queensland so in all three grades here yeah, was a clean sweep for us so we, we came back with three trophies so a medal for the team at the Pacific Games that will be the icing on the cake really I think what makes it special it's because I've really played myself on my various nations but the special thing about Tonga is their spirituality it's different like coaching anywhere else in the world like when you're in Tonga it's like holy ground you know it feels like we're just connected like everything's in place for us because 
that's our country. Everyone's connected to each other and we have strong cultural values. It's not just about the rugby league for us. And as a coach, it's important for you to know all your players, have personal connections, which makes it a lot easier when you're having to coach your team because you already know your players, you know their strengths and their weaknesses. And I think it just makes my job a lot easier and just having a good team around me. Monica Henry, coach of the Tongan team that will compete in the Women's Rugby League Nines competition at the Pacific Games in Honiara. It'll be just the second time Women's Rugby League has featured at the Games after debuting in Apia four years ago. Looking ahead, the IRL, the International Rugby League, is very keen to see Nines included at the 2032 Olympics in Brisbane. Now, how does someone get to be one of the top basketball referees in the Pacific when they come from a country that struggles to pull together a national basketball team? Ramsey Joab managed to do just that when back in 2007 he was invited to the Pacific Games in Samoa where he undertook intensive training to become a licensed referee and gain official recognition from the International Basketball Federation. Ramsey is from the Federated States of Micronesia and that year he was the only person from his country on the basketball court as FSM's team for the games in Apia didn't include a basketball squad. This, then, is Ramsey's story, one of the winning entries in our Pacific Games storytelling competition. Imagine a five foot seven standing in between six foot nine, six foot seven, big giants. I only see uh, seven footers six foot nine players on tv but never in real life so it's kind of scary at at some point because you know if they you know hack me <laughs> yeah it was very physical i was 24 years old when i was invited to go to Samoa for the pacific games since our islands are scattered, it's hard to uh, form a solid team or a team to send to the Pacific level games. Because I was invited, uh, I guess I would say it's a wild card for me to go to the Pacific games. I hope it's okay to say uh, that this is kind of a, like a Cinderella story because I came from a place where uh, even some of the countries in the region don't know exist. Achieving that uh, ultimate goal, and especially me coming from this part of the world, this region, I do believe it's gonna inspire other youth. For as long as I can remember growing up, like, I see my dad mostly in basketball outfits, especially like after work. So he would come home all sweaty, taking his shoes off. Sometimes he would take me and my other siblings to his basketball matches and we would just sit and watch. So yeah, like growing up, uh, basketball is, uh, I would say it's part of our life. Growing up, I played basketball at the, I started playing in high school. A sophomore year. I would have played basketball early on if we have uh, proper facilities in my province. Over the years, the sport became more popular. Trying out for the national team is uh, the pool of players became, becomes uh, deeper. At that time, I was a 16-year-old going on to 24. 
I don't have the height. There's still other aspect of the sport that I can still do. So I focused more on refereeing. I've always wanted to be an athlete, but it's not a guarantee trip for me. <laughs> but as a referee, it's always a guarantee to travel, experience new cultures, experience uh, other people. One of my ultimate dream was to officiate at a world championship or a Olympic Games. But unfortunately, like uh, there are other more skilled referees out there in Europe, uh, South America, Africa. When I was invited to go to Samoa at the Pacific Games. At first, like I, feelings that were going through my head at that time was like, am I up for it? Can I do it? Uh, you'll never find out un un unless you try. So I got excited. The training, uh, it includes theory in the morning and then throughout the day, uh, our practical with the, like the actual matches. That's our practical. And then at the end of the day, we also have, uh, you know, briefing on what happened. How are we improving things? My favorite match was, uh, was also the difficult match between Samoa and New Caledonia. Man, bronze medal match. It's very intense. Uh, there were a lot of contacts. New Caledonia is behind, so they started, you know, playing very physical. Imagine a five foot seven standing in between six foot nine, six foot seven, big giants. What's going through my mind from tip off till the end, like, like I opened up my mind, like my full focus, it's uh, 360. I made sure that I got every call, that I managed it well. It's, it's a it's a metal game, and the principle I use when I'm officiating is that I make sure that at the end of the game, players and coach won't be blaming the refs, but they will blame themselves. That's what happened. That they missed a lot of free throws, committed a lot of fouls, so make sure that the loss was on the losing team. If I remember correctly, there's only three Pacific Islanders that got their license on that tournament. I'm one of the lucky ones that passed the exam and then issued a license. No other citizen from my country has ever accomplished getting licensed in uh, basketball officiating. I feel very proud of myself. I had it in my, my thoughts that yeah, my, my family would be proud and not just my family, but my, my country would be proud. And yeah, I, I was not mistaken when I, when, when I came back, like, oh, I got all these uh, congratulations and people commenting me and, you know, saying job well done. You did it. You're the only one that ever gone through this. We have leagues, tournaments going on, but there's a scarce number of uh, referees here. So that's one thing that I've identified. And, uh, you know, looking back in high school, I think that's where I should start, like, you know, introducing them on how to, uh, you know, manage the game. I want Everson to at least uh, have three quality or certified referees. And uh, I would love, also love to see Everson 
you know, at least get into the Asia qualifiers for the World Cup or World Olympics. That would be awesome. I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime, but I hope one day. Ramsey Joab from Federated States of Micronesia talking about his hopes for the future of basketball in FSM and his own Pacific Games story, one of the winning entries in our storytelling competition and Ramsey's story was produced by Catherine Grau. Now, time to cast an eye over some of the sporting topics uh, sparking conversation and uh, social media posts uh, during the week gone by with uh, sports writer and moderator of the Fiji Rugby Players Facebook Forum, uh, Tia Rocco. Uh, Tia, uh, welcome back. Good to have you on the programme again. Lisandra, Richard, and Pacific greetings from northeast Arnhem Land uh, to you and all your listeners out there in the Pacific. Recovering from a cough and cold, however, great to be here as always. All right, uh, good to know you can uh, you can soldier on for the next all oh, seven minutes or so. Fingers crossed. And uh, let's talk about coaching vacancies in the sport of rugby union. First of all, the Flying Fijians and Kalitahi Tonga, of course, both looking for new head coaches. I mean, in Fiji's case, I think the powers that be would love Simon Rawalui to change his mind and stay. He, he doesn't leave officially until December. Um, do you have any insight as to what's happening and whether he might stay, or if not, who might take over? Well, you know, after Fiji's campaign at the Rugby World Cup, Richard, a disruptive and exciting uh, performance, and then Simon Raiwa-Lui announcing his exit, um, you know, his position is up for grabs. So Fiji Rugby um, in in the last week has made some announcements for change at the helm regarding high-level performance and the women's game, uh, Richard, whereby some interesting choices have been made in what is likely to be a new era for Fiji Rugby, we hope. Uh, When I spoke to Simon right after the Rugby World Cup, I asked him if he was coming back to Rugby Australia and he said no, he was not coming back to Rugby Australia, but definitely looking forward to spending time with his wife and children who are based in Australia and that will be a well-deserved time for him, Richard. So nothing on the Fiji end uh, and I'm sure they're doing a great job of keeping the lid tight on who is likely to be the next head coach but i would say uh, it would probably be a local coach uh, richard and interesting that you make that point because certainly that, that appears to be the direction that uh, tonga are heading into if for no other reason and they want that person to be very much involved in the development of the game in tonga because of course as we know Pacific rugby is an international game these days. You pick your players from the diaspora and with luck you pick players from your home nation as well. And Fiji, of course, have done that rather well. Yes, definitely makes sense. And after a disappointing campaign at the Rugby World Cup uh, to tie uh, Kepu, I believe he broke the news on this programme last month uh, that after eight years he'd be stepping down and giving over the reins to new blood. And so, yep, his last stint at the World Cup, no doubt, uh, he would be there to support new leadership in their transition, I can imagine, uh, Richard. So waiting to hear on both ends. 
Now, um, there's been one or two comments made about uh, the, the Pacific Rugby League Championship, which is uh, unfolding at the moment about the organisation and structure of the competition, but and particularly the women's competition, which seems to be really no competition at all, just a series of unconnected matches. But compare that to W15 for women's rugby union teams, and Fijiana and Manosina Samoa have really been put to the test in uh, Dubai and in South Africa, respectively, over the last few weeks. It's gone rather well for Fiji, not so well for Manasina but this tournament that's been set up by World Rugby, it really is a big step forward, isn't it? Yes, it's um, quite a bit to get our heads around, but with the structure of the new competition and with games still left to play, uh, Richard, for Tier 1 Nations starting today and tomorrow, uh, you know, I would say that Fijiana was struggling to find their footing as a team, I would say, um, since, you know, uh, the Super W campaign. So there's been a lot of talk online about that uh, with the current coaching staff being at the helm for almost a year. We also had uh, Sarima Lewinengila play her last game for Fijiana. That is worth mentioning after 11 years of amazing contribution uh, to the women's game and we wish her well in her next endeavours. So yeah, there is talk of leadership change not only for the captaincy but we can expect to see uh, some changes in, in terms of coaching. There are some names that are being talked about and we expect Fiji Rugby will be scrutinising uh, for Fiji in the next few days. Manusina has had somewhat commendable run, although they will be joining Fiji in Tier 3. According to the uh, world ranking, Samoa is 15th and Fiji remain in 19th spot. So given the new competition framework, we can expect to see some positive uh, changes, Richard, happening for women's rugby uh, at the grassroots in both Fiji and Samoa unions. In the end, I mean, Fijiana were not a million miles away from promotion, were they? I mean, that, that final no. match they played against Kazakhstan, yes. I think it was 118-0, which I assume is not really what World Rugby are looking for in terms of competition. But Fijiana won't compa- complain about that. I mean, Manasina, I mean, they had a much tougher run, and in the end, they couldn't get over South Africa in their final game. And as you say, they dropped down, and they'll be playing Fijiana in W15 next season but it's just the opportunity for these women to actually play competitive matches which they've been missing forever really other than at world cups most definitely richard and uh, it's going to be an interesting um you know next few years around this new competition framework so we're looking forward to seeing some a lot of changes um for fiji and samoa and just a word on the 18th team in the NRL. I mean, the PNG bid just seems to be getting more and more momentum and the Australian government talking about throwing large amounts of cash at it. Now we have the North Sydney Bears bid saying that they're going to be an all-encompassing bid for, for the Pacific involving all the Pacific rugby playing nations. There's a lot of jockeying for position going on here. I mean, who do you think is going to come out first in the end? Well, Richard, isn't this an interesting space for discussion? You and I could chat about it all day. But nevertheless, with the new announcement for a possible whopping $60 being put by the Australian government into the back, um, in, into the game on the back of the Australian Prime Minister and the NRL CEO's visit to the US. It has been an interesting turn of events, all in the name of soft diplomacy and, and under the sports diplomacy uh, machinery, which has been a present footprint across the Pacific, case in point, the Vivale partnership with Fiji. Now, the North Sydney Bears have had their footprint in the Pacific for the last two years doing their homework and obviously vying for the 18th spot in the NRL. Um, 
Um, now, after speaking to national rugby leagues in the Pacific, I believe there is a massive support for this bid uh, by Tonga, Samoa, Fiji and the Cook Islands. Therefore, membership will be, uh, I believe, similar to the Moana Pacific model in the Pacific Super Rugby competition. The attractive thing about this bid is that the Bears are well reputed for their overall development strategy, including their proposal for the Pacific. They are a feeder club here in Australia. There is a methodical approach to their overall strategy. Tia, we're going to have to cut it short. Apologies. You're right. We could talk about this all day, but we're heading towards the news. So I have to stop it there. Tia Rocco, thank you very much indeed. I'm Richard Hewitt. Have a great sporting weekend.